With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Anthony D'Alessandro. And this is the Deadline Podcast Hero Nation, Gotham City version. I mean, it's a great one. Director, producer, and co-writer of Warner Brothers The Batman, Matt Reeves. The movie is set to conquer the box office this weekend with over $225 million worldwide. Let's put up the bat signal. So, Matt, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. I have to ask you right off the bat, why so dark? (laughs) Do you mean visually or do you mean... I mean, all across the board, buddy. <laughs> Aesthetically, well, uh, a- a- economically, politically, uh, culturally, and certainly visually as well, your Batman might be the darkest Batman of all. Put it this way. You make Frank Miller look like he's Harpo the Clown. You know, isn't that true? <laughs> <laughs> kind of, if yeah. You look at, if you look at Frank Miller's uh, comic books, they're pretty dark. I don't think we're darker than the comic books. Um, oh, I don't know about that. Well, it depends on which ones you're talking about, but they're pretty yeah. dark. I mean, yeah. year one is pretty dark. Yeah, year one is pretty, pretty dark. dark. Dark Dark Knight, of course, is pretty good. The Electro comics are all pretty dark. Ronan yeah. is pretty dark. Your movie is very dark. And, and let's it, talk about that. Why did well, you, you know, it that has, has to do with the emotional stakes of things. I mean, what, you, you know, a, a Batman, this Batman story is about, a, I mean, especially this one in a year two story is about a guy who's trying to understand his place in the world who's really trying to make meaning of his life after what happened to him as a kid, right? So he yeah. keeps revisiting this thing in a way that is never gonna work. I mean, yeah. he'll never be able to reverse what's happened. So if you look at it as a psychological tale and a guy who's trying to come into sort of, or, or a guy who not as is even trying to, but who by the course of the story will have an awakening and come into more self-knowledge than he has at the beginning, the stakes of it all is about his frustration that this place is not any better despite the mission that he's compelling himself on. And so Gotham where things are, where everything's fine, I don't know what that story is. It's called drama. I don't know, yeah. that's, why, that's why it is. What I loved was, uh, you know, it wasn't that typical, oh, the Joker or some descendant of the Joker killed Bruce Wayne's parents. I'm not gonna reveal it, but there is some lore that we learn about Bruce Wayne, yeah. which, is about how he might be part of all the is, bad. All is not all is not shiny happy people with the Wayne Foundation. To put right. It well, it, it's about how he might be part of the greater bad system, for lack of better words. But well, here's my yeah. Go ahead. He, here's what my I'm going to say is he, he he as as everybody is is part of a system. And right. I think yeah, when you, I, when you imagine somebody, was, I thought I thought that was very interesting because I think even with Nolan. The previous movies have always have walked away from that. They've somehow had Bruce Wayne as the good billionaire. You know, whatever yeah. happened with the parents, whatever happened in the past, he's a man who maybe fails, obviously, at times, um, but he's a man who sees himself outside the system and, 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 and there's no recognition that 
and I really don't want to sound like I'm leading a graduate studies class here, but there's no recognition that <laughs> capitalism and the, and, the, and the philosophies of consumerism affect us all. And those of us who agree with it or disagree with it, no matter how we try to participate in it, we all are, I mean, I would say, maybe there's one or two people on the planet who aren't, but we're all participating in this process. And I thought that you're, one of the things I loved, and that, you know, Hero Nation fans might find this completely boring. And for that, I say, <laughs> um, I loved how mature the movie was. And do you know well, what I mean by that? Like, I felt like, I felt well, like- I tried grown, to take it seriously as a, I, I wanted to take it seriously from a, uh, a psychological standpoint and a kind of, um, I don't know. The thing about it is to me, the idea of him having this event happen to him, if you look at it from a psychological standpoint, he's really, it happened to him when he was 10. And so his vision of the world is actually kind of stuck in that 10 year old vision. And if you wanna give that character a kind of awakening and the whole idea of doing a noir story, which is of course where all this comes from is you're always gonna explore the grays of things. And so this idea that somehow his, par his parents are, are untouched by imperfection that they aren't affected by a system that we're all participating in, that, the, that there isn't a pull in a way that shows our flawed nature. There's not much drama if that's the case for me. Otherwise, everything becomes external. You got the good guys and the bad guys, and that's not very interesting. And yeah. I don't think that even the other Batman movies and Batman stories are, are doing it in that reductive a way anyway. I think it's one of the things that's exciting about a Batman story is that it's a chance to put a lens on the world that we're in. Gotham is a lens of looking at our world. And I really wanted Gotham to reflect our world. And I think part of it was also in trying to have this character have an awakening and have him be not be in the early days. I wanted him to, you know, to not even really be aware of the safety net that he'd been born with. Yeah. So that the conditions under which he was living, this whole story would force him to confront the imperfection of, of, of the world. And so, you know, it's a very kind of this idea that somehow you can master yourself and change everything by becoming the Batman. It's a very, it's a very reductive idea. It's going to be a struggle. And I was interested in looking at the struggle in a way that people watching the movie could say, Hey, this, this is, this is obvious. A, a, it's a fic, you know, it's a fictitious city. It doesn't exist. It's this mythic place, but actually it seems to exist in our world. I wanted it to feel like that. The details he learns about his father, though, did that come from the comic book or did you did you come up with that? Because I thought no. that was great. In a loop. That was like I'd never seen that in any of the Batman movies before. Well, what I wanted to do is I wanted to do a story that while it was a detective story, because that was one thing I felt hadn't been done yeah. in the movie to the degree that that I felt. And here we are talking about the great detective, and yet never has there really been a detective movie. Well, because they've always, they've always sort of, you know, there's always been a nod to it, but to, to, to actually plot out a story so that you're actually doing a story where you're trying to, you're on the trail of a serial killer and you're getting into the mindset and then you're, and then doing that, the serial killer is leading you through a path that describes corruption that's been going on for 20 years and you're going to learn about that corruption the way you would like in all the president's men or in Chinatown or something like, first of all, that's kind of an insane thing to try and do. It's very <laughs> ambitious, man. I'm like, well, why do we do that? But at the same time, I felt like, I really felt like that was an exciting path to go down. But so, I think, but you did that with apes as well. I mean, you, you know, that, that, that movie, it, 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 it punched up for lack of a better expression in, in a philosophical manner. 
And yeah. so, I mean, it, it, it does seem germane to you as, a, as an artist to do well, that. Well, it's kind of my approach in that I guess you would say that I'm interested in the, in the human side of things, which means in the struggle to be a human being. I mean, it's all, we have, I think that that, only, because that's the only thing I relate to. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not doing it because like, oh, I want to impose this. Those, the stories that I've been for, you know, look, doing a genre story, I think you have to be, you have to have your way in. And I felt like the apes world and the Batman world, they were unique in terms of the kind of stories that I'd been offered in that, I don't mean stories, I mean worlds, mm -hmm. because they provided an opportunity to explore something about our nature. And that to me is what drama is. And so, yeah, you know, that to me, I want to fulfill all the things that you want from a Batman movie. I want you to see the Batman, you know, Batmobile chase. And I want, the, I want you to fill all of that. And I want to make the movie kind of a horror movie too. Cause I thought like Batman is kind of born out of a kind of horror sensibility as well. So that I wanted you to have all of these experiences. I wanted it to be immersive, but that part of it where it was part of something you could relate to as human drama, that's the only thing that really draws me into any story. Cause I'm trying to understand, well, what does it feel like to be this guy? And so that, that in, in both cases, in the ape stories and in, the, in, in, in this story, I felt like an opportunity to look at how imperfect our world is and what this, you know, what this fight's really about, you know? So there's two questions I have to ask you right off the bat. I know Anthony has a million, but first question, why so, so much Nirvana? <laughs> why so much Nirvana? Why so, so serious? Um, oh, you know, ho, 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 ho. I, um, because Nirvana was a key for me. I, I was writing the first act and I listened to music when I write. And I was trying to figure out how to do another iteration of Bruce Wayne and what this tone felt like and what it must feel like to be this guy who's on this kind of compelled personal mission that really is kind of ill-fated in a certain way. I mean, the one thing about Batman is he keeps going at it and he's certainly yeah. heroic. But at the end of the day, Gotham is never gonna change. And in that way, it sure seems like the real world. Yeah. And it definitely is pushing that rock up the hill every day. <laughs> yeah, it's very Sisyphusian. So the the idea of, um, I don't know, I just listened to, I put on something in the way and it unlocked something for me. And I was like, oh, and I literally wrote it into the script right at that moment. I was like, oh, this is cool. Okay. I, for some reason, there was something in the tone of that that felt right to me about this version of Bruce who didn't really want the burden of being a Wayne and was kind of withdrawing from that and had a kind of almost sort of rock and roll side, like a recluse side, a kind of driven side, a kind of almost like an addiction, like he's addicted to being mm -hmm. Batman. There was something I thought, oh yeah, okay. It feels like Nirvana. That's what it feels like. And so it's, by the way, it's not really so much Nirvana. You hear it twice. <laughs> but it, but it, I will, but to, to what you're saying, but it, it's ethos permeates. Yes, it does. It absolutely does. And it's because in, in the writing, there was something in the music that opened that up to me. I was like, oh, this makes sense to me. Okay, and second so, question. And then okay. I swear to God, Anthony, I'll shut up. Sequel. Have you thought about it? What have do you, you thought about it? it? No, I'm kidding. Um, have I thought about it? Yes, I've, I've thought about it. But you know what? Here's the thing. I, I always say that you don't set out with a movie like this or with any movie to make a chapter one, unless you already, unless you're making two movies at once, right? Because then you know you really are making two halves of the same story. But in this case, you know, I have plenty of ideas about where it goes, but the whole point was to put you through an experience that felt like you were entering a new version of this character, a new version of this world. 
And, you know, his story is always ongoing. You can't have a Batman movie where at the end you go like, and guess what? Corruption is done. Oh. Crime is over. The world is great because that doesn't resonate or make sense at all. Yeah. So the way well, in I which the story is continuing, it's not like a direct story. Like I'm saying like, okay, and, and the next story is X. I, 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 it, I would definitely, I will now, if we get a chance to do more, I will be thinking about where the story goes. But yeah. HBO well, Max, the HBO Max series, there's, there's the Penguin, is there not? Well, that does, that does come from, it's interesting because I was talking to them about the, about doing a show and I had wanted to do this, this GCPD show, which was kind of like, to me, it was like a Prince of the City kind of story, a battle for a cop's soul. And I wanted it actually to be year one. It was actually going to be slightly a prequel to the story. So uh -huh. that as Batman's making an appearance, you're seeing this cop who's a corrupt cop, but also like Prince of the City, he's a human being who's kind of like, it's a battle for his soul. Yeah. And the appearance of this vigilante is kind of like, bringing him an awakening and will he fail the test and sort of, mm -hmm. so I thought that was kind of an epic story but they were saying like look we really want you to lean into the characters because that obviously is a character that doesn't exist in the in the in, in the DC world it does not yeah. it's a new character and I was really excited about that but they're like we want you to we don't want you to just reserve things that you might do in movies if there are more movies we want them to come into this thing and I said well I said right in the heat of the following of this moment where the story has ended and the power vacuum has now been opened up I always thought that there was a great penguin story that's kind of an American dream Scarface story of a guy who's yeah. underestimated, who nobody thinks, you know, is is going to really be capable of doing anything, who believes in himself with a visceral violence, and who we know mythically becomes the kingpin. Mm -hmm. And I and I was like, I said, you know, it's like a Scarface story, and it's about this guy who's underestimated, and uh, you know, it's like the Long Good Friday or something. And they were like, we'll do that show. <laughs> And that's like, next. You know, it's so that, funny you call it's it. It's happening right now. And so Lauren LaFranc, who's a wonderful writer, she and I, we, you know, she's seen the movie multiple times and we talked about, you know, where this fits into a story that may never come to be elsewhere, but we are doing this Penguin story. And she wrote a really beautiful pilot to it. And Colin is in, he's excited. And, um, and yeah, we're telling, we're telling more Oz stories. We're telling Penguin stories in, in a different form. I mean, to me, what's yeah. exciting about streaming is that it has, you know, when you're trying to tell a movie story, you're trying to tell an event or a series of events that refer to the past and imply a future, but this is the critical thing to understand what you need to know about these characters. This is the revelation. When you're doing a long form story, it's really like a novel and you're doing, each episode is like a chapter and the, the you know, in the aggregate, in, in, in the overall, when you've told many, many of these stories, you then have a kind of sweep of what it is to be exploring these characters. So that kind of storytelling is very different. And I'm really excited that we're gonna be going into the minutia with Colin in this way to tell this story about this character in a way that you've never seen. So that's what that is. And we are doing that, yeah. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, are you considering weaving those, like, Let's just look at this on a sheer timeline basis. You've got Batman opening now. You've got the Penguin series on HBO Max. 
Yes. Could they cook up again? I, I, am, I am just going to say, not putting a bet on anything on Vegas, but I think you're making a sequel. Um, and I, I, so will there kind of be a bridge there or weaving in and out? It is we absolutely on the table. That's part of what the concept was. I was like, okay, so my idea was that in the power vacuum, this thing begins, and then that's where this series lives. And the idea that then that could hook back into the films is an absolute possibility. But cool. at this point, I'm not saying that that's what we're doing. I just, yeah. that is, here's the thing. I want to find the next story and I'm going to draw it from all of the things that we kind of have and all the things I'd like to do if we get to do it. And for sure, the idea of the reemergence in the penguin in a different kind of form where he's kind of sort of grasping at power in a kind of really violent way is a, is a distinct possibility. I mean, and I, I mean, I love working with Colin. I think yeah. he's amazing. And so the idea that's kind of when I talked to Colin in the first place about the movie in the first I, place. By the way, can we just talk? Yes, Colin Farrell is amazing. And he's someone who didn't hasn't gotten enough attention for that over the years. You know, he's done some great TV. He's done some great movies. And this is yet another showing of a man who's just a yeah. really damn good he, actor. He disappears yeah. in the yeah. role. He's great. He's really brilliant. Well, here's the weird thing. If you can imagine, like, so I get to meet Colin, who I loved. We had, and who I think is an amazing actor. I mean, I just think he's just... I love Colin Farrell. I think he's just such an incredible, incredible performer. Did and you see the North Water? His TV, that TV show he did. No, last I haven't year? seen it yet. No. Oh my god! Oh yeah. my god! You have to see it. He's I know. Like, I heard, and that's the thing is that he's incredible we met, in the North Water. Yeah, I know. He, the thing is, he is incredible. He's an yeah. amazing yeah. artist. He's wonderful. And you know, when when we first started talking about it, we met in this hotel room in London and I was like and he was like okay so because he loved the world of the film and he loved the world the, the world so much and he said but the penguin why me for the penguin and I was like well because I see you and it's funny because I hadn't look we transformed him in ways I never uh -huh. originally intended I just and, and actually he had put on weight for the role you're talking about and I was like oh you've got to you kind of have some heft to you and then there was I was thinking of the telltale version of the character which kind of looks like Colin and I was like oh we kind of mess up his nose and and now be you know but we ended up going on this journey with Mike Marino where he transformed him in this remarkable way that we were both blown away about. And that version of that character, I got to know Colin at the beginning, but honestly, the way I know Colin is as Oz because it took him so long to get into makeup. I never saw him yeah. not in makeup. And I spent a year and a half making this movie and every time I saw Colin, he looked like Oz and he spoke like that. He's like, I'm gonna talk like this. I was like, fine, whatever you want. So on the last day I had, I said, you know, I'm gonna give you a hug because I feel like I'm not gonna see this guy for quite some time. Next time I see you, I'm excited. You'll be calling, but it's not this guy. And he goes, yeah, man, it's weird. This has been a crazy yeah. change. It's really neat. Any, any castings, extra castings for Penguin or is Robert Pattinson gonna do a cameo and Jeffrey Wright? Everything. No, I mean, I don't no, no castings at this point. No, the, the, the pilot is very distinctly in following Colin, actually in something that connects quite from where we leave the story here. So, it so there, is, there is there is a pickup from where from where Batman is. It absolutely is in the context of what has happened in the movie. Yeah. Cool. And that's that's where it, that's where it begins. And then and then where we'll do look, we haven't we haven't mapped out the full season yet. We're doing that right now. And um and, you know, so I won't say whether or not we're going to, but, you know, it's, it's certainly possible. That's certainly the, the idea is that there's that opportunity to bring characters in and out. Um, you know, I mean, everyone's talking about how you guys are going to save box office, the, the huge numbers they expect for this weekend. And I know that that must be a lot of pressure upon a, a, a filmmaker as always. So I want to ask you about something kind of related to the business, but not related to the business, which is one of the things we've seen over the past 18 months during the pandemic especially over at Warner Media, 
was this move from taking movies out of the cinemas or, or into streaming or creating a hybrid uh, role model, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Batman is a movie for the big screen. It's sure that is. type of movie in the details. But what is your feeling about that? I mean, how do you, because you are weaving into both worlds because the HBO Max TV series plays a role within that. Where do you see the streaming cinema dynamic and where do you see it going? Well, I mean, who, I have the answers. I know. I yes. don't, I have no clue. What I do know is that the big screen experience is so sacred to me and I don't want it to go away. And the movie absolutely was made to be immersive and subjective and point of view driven. And from the visuals to the sounds to this, the, 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 the imagery itself of what it is uh, to be in this space, in this world, that experience is just not the same on streaming. It's yeah. really something that you, and you know, this idea of the communal, I, here's the thing, I feel like the world is getting so siloed. And the one thing that movies always meant when I was young was it was a communal experience where people came together to sort of, you know, in a way that felt almost religious. You go into a dark space and you all together sort of submit to this experience and you all share it. And this idea of everything being, you know, like I get worried about the about social media and the algorithm and people living in their silos and the algorithm driving you to what you're inflamed by and what's going to get your passions up so that people have different versions of the world that exist. They don't, they don't see each other anymore. And one of the things that brought us together was the sort of myths and the stories that we shared together on the big screen. And so I don't want to lose that. I think that that is a powerful, meaningful way for us to connect through stories. It's just, and it's just, to me, that's one of the way, that's what movies were meant to do. But that being said, I also love long form. I love what streaming is. And I also feel like, well, maybe streaming also gets, one of the things that's happened over the course of, you know, my growing up and my sort of evolution as, as a, you know, as a filmmaker is that the industry and what is on the big screen is now so much more narrow than it ever was. And there was a period of time where you thought, oh my gosh, the idea of what, I mean, they used to make dramas. I used to think I was going to make dramas, you know, and, I mean, yeah. and, and the thing is that in the streaming space, there is the opportunity. People do get into, I, I mean, I, I mean, I remember when Succession came out and, um, you know, my, my family had the flu and they were like, go into the bedroom. And I basically in a day and a half watched the entire season and I just couldn't stop. And mm -hmm. I was like, that experience, I really, I, I loved it. It was so great. So I think that- Now that would be a great cameo great for the Penguin series is to have Logan Roy show up. One big corporation, I don't think he would, and I think, I think Oz would have a hard Logan time Roy with Logan. Oz. Oh my God, Oz We're would gonna be- We're going to go beast mode. That would be rough. That would be rough for Oz because Logan is tough. Well, he could become a mentor. He could. Matt, did Warner Brothers offer you ever the option to say, hey, we could take this theatrical day and date on HBO Max? No. Or No, in fact, they called me because look, the movie, I've been making this movie since 2017. That's when I signed on. That's how it took a long time to write. Then we had the pandemic and I was I was supposed to be there for this period of time, it was a year and a half instead. It was crazy. And so it was always engineered as a big screen experience. That's sort of the point. You're doing a Batman movie, right? And so um, when the pandemic hit and they put, they decided they would take their slate for one year and do that, I, I also at the same time got a phone call that said, hey, listen, just to let you know, that's not what we're planning to do for 2022, but we're going to play it by ear. We just don't know. We, know. we don't know what the world looks like. And so everybody's in a place where 
these are crazy seismic shifts. And it's one of these things where, you know, when, when the superheroes that have done well, superhero movies that have done, you know, when, when Venom did well and when Spider-Man did well and said like, hey, people actually still want this experience. That was very hopeful. And we're hoping that we are part of that too. And I'm hoping that the experience will widen back out again, that what being on the big screen may be able to be more than just this narrow band, but even just to have this right now means so much to me, but we never ever said we were gonna do that. In fact, one of the things that has been really important to me is that we were preserving this window, that, this, that people understand that first of all, the movie was designed to be had. And I mean, when you see this movie in Atmos and uh, you know, it's just like the, the sound and the picture to be seen, whether you see it in IMAX or Dolby Cinema, it's really a powerful immersive experience. And it's not going to be the same. It'll be what it is on streaming. I think it'll be a really good experience, but it's not the same. And so, also, by the way, to see with an audience. I mean, that was the thing. When we were testing the movie, it was the first time I was in the room with an audience for years, you know, like it was since the pandemic had begun. And, and when they would, when the Batmobile ch chase hit and the crowd erupted into applause when he was doing the wingsuiting thing and he hit the ground and it like it really takes it hard and the crowd erupts into applause and people are laughing at moments and you're going like, oh yeah. That's right, going to the movies with a group of people, this experience, it's really something that um, I'm very, I feel very fortunate that we get to have because so many movies now don't have this experience and, and we will on this. And so I hope, it will, I hope it goes well. So Matt, what really blew me away with this movie, first of all, when I, before I walked in last night, I, I had heard from people, it was three hours, it was deliberately paced and I'm like, okay, can I tell you I every single record, minute I say for the record that Anthony's Anthony's response to three hours was a little bit more explicit than but it was gripping. It was gripping oh, and so you. well paced. And I looked around at the audience and you had them entranced. Oh, How you. did you do it? I mean, I want you to talk about the three audaciousness to do a three hour film. And then to keep our interest with what, what is a wonderful slow burn. You know, I never set out for it to be three hours. I didn't. By the way, it's 2.47 without credits. Just want to say. It's 2.47 hey, story. Hey, no. got to watch the credits. Everybody works hard. No, 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 no. I'm just saying story-wise. Then you can relax and hear Michael's music. And then you can watch. Yeah. You can see who is it, who, who every, all the amazing people who made this movie. But, um, you know... The thing is, I just, one of the things that was exciting for me is when we first tested it, and the movie was well over three hours at that point. And they, what was it? Just tell us. It was three. 20. What's that? Yeah, it was, around, three. It, was, it was somewhere between 310 and 320, wow. you know, without title. So it would be yeah. more like a three and a half hour, 340 length movie. It's Godfather 2 length. We're at Godfather 1 length now. We were at Godfather 2 length. So um, oh that's going to be absolutely our barometer for all movie lines. Yeah, now. yeah. You just got to, you just got to go. What, 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 so where does this fall? Is it G1 or G2? Yeah, this, yeah, this is a good way to do things. It's really or smart. Is this, or is this Francis's recut of three? Which there is, you go. Really is or is this, or is it the Godfather saga? Is it all the movies put together? Oh. Yeah, you know what? There's, there's only one way to go. No, but here's the thing. I never wanted it to be that long. It was one of these things where the story was so complex. And one of the things that we found out in that very first test, even at the really long length, is the audience actually was into the story. They liked this character being the world's greatest detective, and they want to, they like the idea of being in on this thriller story. So 
everything that we did from that point forward was to refine and clarify and lock down on how to make that story as gripping, as clear as possible, even though the story like any noir is kind of like, there's a while you're going like, wait, what, what's this? And who are you talking about? What's going on? Like, that's the kind of thing. But I felt that way. Like, I feel that way about all the president's men, right? You're like going like, obviously, you know the story, but you're, as you're seeing the pieces, it's just so gripping to get this all dribbled out to you in this way going like, oh, wait, how does it, how does it catch this? And we just thought if we could create that kind of a slow burn and that everything from that point forward, once we knew that an audience would go with this, which by the way, is too late in the process. What if they had said, nah, that would have been a real problem. Well, no, no, but but actually to that, what do you do as a filmmaker? Because obviously, I mean, you've done focus grouping and tests with people before, with audiences before, with apes and other ones. What do you what do you do? Like, I mean, I've heard stories from filmmakers who told I, me they went I, in, and I'm talking to some big, some big lead gonna, people like you. They've I'm gone in with them. their films and they've done a focus group in Santa Barbara, and people have been like, eh, eh, pal, that ain't come, that ain't cut yeah, it. And I, I'm gonna knock on wood because I don't honestly, that is everybody's worst worst nightmare. I've never had that situation. Whatever what I've had is what you learn, which is like, gee, this isn't clear. This part isn't moving well enough. We don't, you know, we don't understand this. This isn't satisfying enough. And so you learn, look, it's the same thing you learn. And for me, it's not so much the focus grouping. I find that to be the least important part. What is the most important part is you can feel there's an osmotic, that's what I'm saying about the idea of, go, you can tell in a movie, like what, what's so cool about what you're saying, I think is also when you're, when you go to the movies, you can tell if the audience is with it. You can feel if the audience- Oh, they were with it. And, and can I with just it. say- that you can feel that when you're testing the movie. That's the whole point. So you can feel like, oh, I could feel they were restless here. This didn't work. That's more important. Everybody's gonna try and give you their prescriptives and the prescriptives don't really matter. What matters is you know it's not working there and how do you make those areas stronger? And certainly there are some basic things that you can learn when you're looking at cards and things like, gee, they had no idea what the heck was going on here. And so you can do those kinds of things, but it's not like you sit there in a focus group and listen to people's prescriptives and go like, great idea, I'll do that. What you do is you respond to people's response to your movie and you just, you have to use it as an opportunity because watching how, look, it's a communal experience. You want the audience to engage and watching how people are or aren't receiving something is super important. And sometimes, you know, when people are really upset, that's when you know something's working too because something that's meant to upset you, if it upsets you, you're going, okay, that's working. So then, you know, it's not, it isn't binary like, hey, this scene got a six. You know what I mean? You can't really, yeah. I find that that's not a very useful way of approaching it. Matt, we really, really appreciate you being with us today. I mean, the film is going to be, it's a landmark in the in the Batman canon already. And that's, you know, that's a pretty big deal, my friend. And I know that you know that. I want to ask you as a last question. Batman is one of the great narratives of our time. It encompasses so much. There's the Freudian angle, there's the dystopian angle, there's the urban decay angle, there's the vigilante angle, there's the political angle that plays into it, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. For you, what, what, was the, what was the thing that most scared you about taking on this responsibility of, an, of a new Batman? I think the history of Batman. I mean, the thing is, is that it's an interesting thing. You know, when I started writing, what happens is whenever you're doing any particular part of the process, you start fixating on certain things. So like sometimes when I'm in the editing process, I, I notice cuts all the time. You're like, oh, that was a good cut. Oh, interesting. Oh, no, I don't like that cut. And you start thinking of that. When I was writing this movie, 
I was, and in the stages where it was like right in the beginning, where you're just collecting all the ideas, you're trying to figure out what it should be about. I would walk down the street and I would see how many people just never noticed it before were wearing Batman t-shirts, Batman sweatshirts, yeah. Batman baseball caps, babies with Batman onesies. And that was terrifying because I thought, wow, everybody has a version already near and dear to their hearts. And it's not going to be my version because my version is going to be what we're going to do. And you can't be everyone's version. That's not mm -hmm. how it works. And then to know that not only that, but you were entering into a lineage of films which are beloved and in which great films have been made, that is daunting as hell. So that was the scariest thing was to know, okay, how can you do something that feels like it warrants doing it again? And how can you do something that can be definitive and distinctive in its own way? You don't try and compete with the other films because they are the other films. I love the other films. So then the thing is, okay, so what can I do that has something new to say about this character who's been around for over 80 years? And I think it's one of the sort of real testaments to the power of this character as an enduring pop myth that as you know, when you list all of those facets of the character and of the world that are so interesting, it's why this is a good story because it lends itself to exploration in all these different ways. And so a, a sort of great mythic story allows you to revisit it from many different angles and find personal ways in, find ways to make it relevant to the time in which it's made. And you know, Batman is a really special one in terms of that kind of thing. So, um, yeah. Well, this has been a really special interview for us on Hero Nation, Matt. We definitely want you to come back when the Penguin series hits HBO Max. Cool. And when the sequel hits the big screen. All right. I, one more quick thing. Actually, I just thought of this. Yeah. Are there, are there any any plans for any more small screen or streaming spinoffs or variations? Uh, yeah. I mean, they're, but that, you know, they're all in planning stages. Yes. Yes, there are. Wow. I hope that some of them are feline orientated. Well, only time will tell. Only time will tell. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Matt Reeves. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Well, that was just great with Matt. And thank you so much. I'm sure tons of you are going to go see the movie this weekend. We'd love to know what you think. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Deadline Podcast, Hero Nation. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss a single Bat episode, my friends. Don't forget, you can find all of our breaking news coverage of TV, film, business, and everything impacting our industry at Deadline.com. And be around this weekend because I'm sure Anthony's going to be busting out with some big numbers for the Batman. You're going to want to track this with our box office coverage. Until then, take care. <laughs>